thinking about a story this morning, the story of the birth of Jesus, but I'm also talking about the entire story of Scripture from beginning uh, to the future when the Lord returns is one grand narrative story. The beauty of our doctrine is that it flows out of a great story that can grab your imagination. Even kids know these stories. We have children's Bibles that contain these stories, and yet as powerful and simple as they are, they are profoundly deep and significant. I liken this to kind of when we greet each other at church. We come in, we come into the foyer, maybe you come into the auditorium, and you're greeting people, and you're saying hello, and how are you, and you're getting some of the basics. You're seeing who they are, how they're dressed today, but you don't know necessarily what, what preceded this and what goes after this. But let me just give one example. She shall remain nameless. You're not going to find out from me who this woman is, but Todd and I were able to help one lady at church who was emptying out a storage unit. And, uh, and she just needed a truck. And so we got over there and helped her move this stuff out. She starts telling her story. An amazingly compelling lady at Valley View. But she's been here for a while, didn't know her very well. I see her, she's delightful, and we talk. But I didn't know her very well, but she, she started sharing her story that day. She, in all her life, has been married like three years, total of three years, because her husband went to war and died in the war. Had a couple of kids before then. He was a boxer. He won an Olympic medal for boxing. That's amazing. I've never seen an Olympic medal up close. Still haven't, but I look forward to seeing this one one of these days. Not only that, but his best friend was a guy named Joe Lewis. Has anybody ever heard of Joe Lewis? Does anybody know your history at all? Some young people are like, whoop-dee-doo. Well, I don't know who to compare him to today because boxing doesn't have what it used to have. Back in my day, it had been Mike Tyson or something. But Joe Lewis was his best friend, went to his funeral. She, and I'm like, surely that's not this lady. This lady, she's got dementia or something. She's making this stuff up, right? What's she drinking, Todd? He looked, it was water. I, I don't know. I don't, what is it? And so I go, no, I don't believe this. I look on, I, I look up Google. He's got a Wikipedia page, and our member's name is smack dab in the middle of it. She's telling the truth. I'm shaking the hand of a lady who was married to an Olympic boxer who won a medal and was best friends with Joe Lewis, and I had no idea what a cool thing that is. And I wonder what else is hidden in this building as I meet people I don't even know. What other little secret amazing things are hidden among the membership here? And then I read C.S. Lewis, who, who's one of my favorite writers, and he mentions each of us as believers, and he says this, talking about your future now, not your past, if I could see me as a human right now, could see you in your eternal equipping for life, any one of you, if I could see Risa and how she's going to be in heaven, if I could see her right now and the way she's going to be in heaven, I would be tempted to bow down and worship her right here and right now because of the future that God has planned for her. And that's true for all of us. We're going to be made spiritual beings like God for eternity. And while that's not true of us yet, the very person I'm looking at, the very people I'm looking at, that really is your future. The people I'm meeting today and shaking their hands of 
are amazing, and it's more than, a, more than meets the eye. You don't appear like all that much right now, George. You just don't look like all that much right now. But he really is. I don't, but his story is amazing, too, and his future is amazing. And that's the way it is for all of us. And I think about this when we talk about Scripture. We open up the Scriptures, and you got, first of all, pages 1, 2, 3, and 4 of the Scriptures. It's just a narrative of God said this, and it was so. God said this, and it was so. Our kids know this from a song. They've got songs to help them know this story. It was Genesis chapter 2, and God made the man and worked the garden, and then he made a woman for her, and he named the animals, and and all this stuff that happened, and then he married them off, and then chapter 3, it goes really bad. And you know, we know this story, but can I tell you something? There's more to this story than meets the eye. And while children can be enamored with this story, scholars can spill ink for millions of books over trying to figure out what all doctrine is contained in this story because within this little innocent story Genesis 1 2 and 3 comes the story of who God is who you're intended to be our gender confusion stuff our marriage stuff and creation care all of that is taught in this sweet little story and then the New Testament opens up and it's a sweet little story we can all recall it. Maybe you've been driving by, by houses that have this little uh, enactment of it in their front yard or maybe a business like this. And we know this sweet, innocent story. Our kids can talk about it, ooh and ah, about how sweet it is. But can I tell you, there is some heavy-duty doctrine wrapped in a story right here that we need to get for our lives and hang on to, and it, it rearranges everything about us in this sweet little story. It's so much more than a story. As these people in real life acted out on real earth, these things, doctrines were coming to life that rearrange our lives, that reoriented us to everything. And, And sometimes we get a glimpse of this. So as you hear the story in Luke, Here's the first one you get. Luke is emphatic about this. As he's recording the story, as as, uh, John read it, I, I was just thinking, all those names, all those city places, who the governor of Syria was, who the Caesar was. Luke is putting little time stamps all the way through the story, saying, don't forget, y'all, this really happened. You can go back and check when this guy was governor, when this Herod was ruling, when this Caesar was around, when this census was commanded, when Bethlehem was a town, when they had to move. He was recording history. He wants you to know this isn't some timeless fairy tale with just general truths in it. It's not. It's a real story. It's a real story. Matthew And by the way, Luke has lots of dialogue, so he slows it down, and he wants dialogue. Matthew, as he's recording the story, he says, hey, time out, time out, stop just a second. While I want you to know what happened, I also want you to know what it means. So time out, you know in the Old Testament when it said this, it's being fulfilled right here. He stops constantly and says, this is a fulfillment of what God said in the Old Testament. He's stopping to say, I want you to get why and what in this story. John condenses it even further. He doesn't have any shepherds. He doesn't have any wise men. He doesn't have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All he has is the cosmic story. In the beginning was the Word. 
The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. God came to earth. Paul is like that too. No mangers in Paul. None of the sheep in Paul. Paul says he didn't hang on to his right to be in heaven and equal with God. He let loose of it and he came down to earth in the form of a humble servant to the point of death. He even said in Colossians, God was pleased to have his entire deity to dwell bodily in Jesus. He says it twice. Who in the world was that in the manger, church? Who in the world was that? I want you to know the story. I want you to see that baby in there. But listen, that is God visiting earth. And he didn't just come and visit incognito. He came in complete vulnerability as a baby, as an embryo first. And he became a baby. And then he grew up and he he suffered everything, even to the point of being subject to the worst thing, and that's death on a cross. This story is amazing. It's more than it appears to be. It is a story, but it's more than a story. And there's so much stuff enwrapped in it. This is a doctrine we call incarnation. You don't need to know the word, but you do need to know this doctrine because it is so significant that God takes on human flesh, fully divine, fully man, all at once, and he visits us. He comes into his own creation that he spoke into existence, and he comes and he lives here. No other doctrine, no other religion in the world has anything like this little detail here. Oh, you know, the myths of the Greeks and, the, and, 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 the, and all those people, the Romans and all. They'll come and they'll play around on earth and they'll mess up things and they'll go back up. But, but, but there's nothing like a God who says, I will lower myself and condescend a man and become one of him. No, n- nothing like this. Anywhere else in the world. And this is absolutely essential for us to believe as Christians. How do you know that? How do we know that that's so important? Well, John comes along. John gives a warning, and he gives two of them in 1 John. And he says this, next screen. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that it confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming into the world and is already in the world. This is a person who comes along and they, and they say, well, he's a good teacher and he's a good person, but he wasn't God in the flesh. John says, have absolutely nothing to do with them. They are the Antichrist. This is absolutely essential to the faith. Absolutely. And what we could talk about is a sweet story, and it is. It's more than that. It's the coming into the world of God becoming man. And while we're used to that, and it's kind of a fundamental doctrine, we can never let our eyes get small about this. The other reason you know it's so important is everything before it looked at it, looked forward to it, everything beyond it looked back at it. And I'll give you an example. We know this. In the Old Testament, it says he had to come flesh. Here's, here's two or three reasons why. You remember on page number one or two, when you have the fall of man from sin, 
And then he says, I want you to know that the offspring of this serpent, Satan himself, the offspring is going to take on the offspring of the woman. A woman, this woman has to give birth to a child, and that child has to be able to defeat Satan. That's how God's going to do this. It's got to be from man. It's not a drone Passover. God's not going to drone over, over the earth and, 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 and defeat Satan. He's not going to do that. What he chose to do in the story is this. I'm going to enter the story as a human being, and from my humanity, from within my humanity, I'm going to defeat the devil. That's Genesis chapter 3. Isaiah 53 is another view of this where it says to us twice in, the, in, the, in these verses, it says he's going to have to suffer and he's going to have to die to make intercession for the transgressors. The only way sin can be atoned for, and we saw it through all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, is that, sin, that blood has to be shed. And so God says, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to come, become a sinless human being with flesh and blood, and I'm going to have to make that intercession through sacrifice. I can't do it from a distance. Yes, Jesus could heal from a distance. He could just speak healing and it would work, but he can't do that with sin. He's got to come into the story as a human being and offer up his blood himself. The Old Testament is saying that page after page after page. And then the virgin birth story. In Isaiah chapter 7 through chapter 9, he says a child is coming. He's going to be a light to the world. He's going to be a revelation to the entire world. He's going to show the world who God is. In the New Testament, it puts it like this. He provides the footsteps, and you walk in the footsteps of Jesus. But listen, in order for you to be able to do that, there have to be human feet leaving prints behind. And Jesus became the human person with human feet leaving those footprints behind for us to follow in. He had to come in here and he had to get messy with us, roll up his sleeves, get involved with us. He couldn't do it from a distance. So it's time to come after all this history. It's time for Jesus to come. And all the predictions of his birth, the birth narratives, it tells, it tells us. It, the, the angel tells Joseph, this boy will save the people from their sins. He has to come in. He has to come in through your, your spouse, Mary, and he's got to do it in the flesh, but he's going to take care of their sins. And then it says to Mary, he's going to reign over God's people. He's got to come through you. He's got to be human, but he's going to reign over God's people. And then through Simeon, we learn that he's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to Israel. This baby has to come in. This person has to come in as a child in order to do this, and that's Jesus Jesus himself then, when he comes on, he talks about this. As soon as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, after his baptism, he's driven into the wilderness, and here comes Satan to attack him, and he defeats him. He defeats him, but it's not just all there. He keeps coming after him all his life, and Jesus keeps defeating him every time, every time, every time. He makes it clear he came to seek and save the lost. He came to preach the kingdom he came to be a light to the world, and the only way to do that is within the world as a human being. He tells us that he had to offer his body and his blood for the sins of humanity. You just did this a moment ago when he opened up those two parts of that little uh, uh, time capsule thing. You open up the top, and there's a, a bread in there. There is bread, unleavened bread in one end. Isn't it interesting that for whatever reason... 
God decided that I want a memorial every single week, and I don't want you just to sit there and think about Jesus and think about what he did for you. I want you to enact it, and I want you to use real, physical, earthly elements to help you realize that there's, there's more to this than just a spiritual sacrifice of Jesus. I want you to use physical things. Every week I want you to take that, that unleavened bread and I want you to think of his body because his body was physical, it was real. It was something in the earth. And then I want you to take the fruit of the vine and I want you to drink it because his, his physical body was broken for you. And so before he leaves on the night he's about to be betrayed, he establishes this supper that we've just observed. And he wants us to remember. It's not the only time he rem we remember him but it's a special kind of remembering. It is a physical reenactment that we remember he was here in real life. I think the importance of this is more than just what it stands for. It's what it's made of, an actual physical substance, because Jesus was a physical being. Well, the rest of the, Old, the New Testament also points back to this. I want you to look at these three verses from John. You know that he appeared in order to take away our sin, and in him there was no sin. You know why he came? Do you know why he had to appear to come as a human being? To take care of the sin problem, and he could only do that in the flesh. He says a few verses later, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil, and the only way he could do that is if he appeared in, on earth in the form of flesh. And then in 1 John 3.16, you know John 3.16, you also need to know 1 John 3.16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He provided the real life example in the flesh of what love looks like. We had to have this example. We couldn't just be taught it from a book. We had to see it in the flesh and we did. That's our story. But that's also our doctrine. That's who we are. Like a house structure. If you knock down that load-bearing wall, the entire structure is compromised. If we don't have our Savior in the flesh, he can't do the things we have to have done in order to be right with God, but we do. That's our story. We're sticking to it, but that's our doctrine too. And so you ask yourself, so what? That's the greatest question of all. So what? Incarnation. So what, this cute story, this sweet story, this true story, so what? Well, number one, because we believe this, we worship our God. But we don't just worship any God. There are many people around the world who are worshiping gods today. There are even some people who claim to be worshiping God today. But here's the God that we worship, the God who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God we worship. And we do that because Jesus has made him known. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, we wouldn't know God like we know him now. He is translated for us in a very specific way. He is revealed to us, and we understand him in a very specific way because of Jesus. Now, the Son of God existed before Jesus. He's there in the Old Testament. He's there in the beginning. We know that. But he became Jesus 
when he came to earth as a human being. He became Jesus, and he still is forever Jesus. But he started there. He revealed something new about God, and we had to have this as part of our story. He defeated our enemy, he overcame our sin, and he provided us a complete revelation, and so we worship. And that's why we're here this morning. That's why we are the church of Christ. We understand God through him. Because of this, we know he understands us and we can turn to him. We're told this in Hebrews. He was made like us in every way, tempted in every way just like us, was without sin, and therefore he's a compassionate and faithful high priest we can turn to at any time. We serve a God who understands us, not because he made us, but because he was made like us and because he lived here and because he lived his life as a human being He knows it. So as we go along in life, we have a person living our lives with us. We do not not serve a God who came to us in commandments of stone. We serve a God who came to us in a person. And one last thing, it reminds us of our mission. We are to be incarnational too. We're to take that story that everybody knows, and even right now in our culture, everybody knows this story. But they need to know it's more than a story. But right now they're at least thinking of the story. And while they're thinking of the story, we need to be a group of people who can share with them what this story means. What does it mean to us? It's a great story. And it's more than that. It's our hope. It's our salvation. It's our joy. It's our peace. And that's the part that we need to share. So this morning, if this is your story... It's not everybody's. It's not even everybody's story in here. It's not everybody's story in the sense of the world celebrating it right now because it's just a story for those who are willing to accept it and embrace it and internalize it. And you're here this morning, and many of you have already responded to this. You took the Lord's Supper a moment ago, and this story you reminded yourself once again of a Jesus who came to this earth and, and lived and died for us and rose again. But for many people in here, it's just a story. It's just a simple narrative with no real meaning for you. And this morning, it can become something much more than that. For you, it becomes a way of life. You can choose, I'm going to imitate this. I'm going to celebrate this for my life. I'm going to internalize this. It becomes my story. And that's available for you, to, for you even right now. As a group of people who have done that are going to stand and sing and encourage you, make this story your story as we stand and sing together.